Violence per se has never been my bag, except personally. But in pictures, as in I would like to uh, try to at least portray it on screen as it is. Uh, I've failed. And I've succeeded. And, uh, but all those pictures you talk about basically are morality plays. I've broken a lot of fences and noses. I just do the uh, best kind of a job I know how. And, uh, but there are certain people who are filmmakers and there are certain people who are not. That's all. special episode because every episode with you two is very special uh of the good the pod and the cozy put on your pajamas get a nice glad uh, uh mug of tea cozy up by the fire with a blanket because it's uh it's that sort of season this, this season and listen to your favorite podcast i'm i'm your host jack i am the other host ken and you're joined by thomas and no andy this week mysterious isn't it (laughs) yes very mysterious is she a killer or isn't she we may find out by the end of this episode stay tuned yes yeah so we have uh two episodes this week right uh still of the night from 1982 i'm sorry we have two episodes we we have many episodes we have two (laughs) movies (laughs) uh still the night and a cry in the dark yes um did she or didn't she after sunset? Well, uh, I guess this week we have did he or didn't he watch the movie. Uh, this week I was super busy and I still wanted to be in on the podcast. Like I didn't want to be left out because like, you know, when I was a kid, like I have a childhood thing where in elementary school, like the kids on the playground would be playing in groups without me and I'd try to join and they'd all say no. So I never had anyone to play with. So I didn't want to be left out in this episode. Um, but I watched one of the movies. And the gimmick this week, uh, to cover up for me being incredibly lazy and not doing all the work, is you guys are going to have to try to figure out which one I watched and which one I didn't. All right, Thomas, uh, we could throw in a scene that is in not in the movie we are discussing, and, and that might be a quick way to find out which. Shit, which. Joe, that's cheating. Is it? <laughs> well, you won't know until we do it. Okay, well, how about if I fell asleep during the movie I watched? Ooh, okay. So you could say I don't remember that. Exactly. Either way. Yes. Squirreled out on legalities again. I feel like Harry Callahan. Yeah, so <laughs> uh so which one which ones did we watch this week? Which two? Uh Still of the Night, nineteen eighty two and uh nineteen is it eighty nine? Yeah. For crying Cry in the dark. Yep. Yeah. I'm yeah. sorry, eighty eight. Eighty eight. Good year for film. Mm-hmm. Well, podcast over. Thank you all for joining. Uh, we'll have Andy wrap up this episode and uh, take it away, Andy. Uh, what about some street bingo, Thomas, even though we had to force you to do it this week? Yeah. Okay. So still the night. Uh, Cry in the dark. Uh, sings during the movie. Uh, there was singing in Cry of the Dark this week. So we'll go ahead and cover up that. Mm-hmm. spot 
No one that I saw was playing a piano. Uh, I don't believe some of the Adventists use instruments uh, during service. And okay. still the night, uh, there might have been some nice elegant parties, but do not recall a piano playing. Mm. Not even a didgeridoo in um <laughs> uh, Divorcee. I think still of the night. Yeah, he's getting a divorce. The he's boy. Divorced. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, there is definitely a therapist in still of the night. <laughs> <laughs> no airplane travel this week. No celebratory cake or desserts that I recall. Except no for the car- dingoes. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. Boo. <laughs> Too soon. Well, fridge food, food critic. Character has cancer. I think we're striking out on all of those this week. Yeah. yeah. Mouth noises. Uh, surprisingly, I think the microphone was not inside anybody's throats this week. So that, that's <laughs> pleasant. Yep. Uh, nor do they, we have any wasps playing uh, Jews or Italians. You pretty much have white people playing white people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, no gay characters this week. But fortunately, no hospital scenes. Unless, do we actually see... Uh, the birth in uh, well, that was kind of a hospital scene. Uh, whenever she gives birth in Cry of the uh, hey, if it's Cry in a prison, dark. if it's in a prison, there's a doctor there. That's still a hospital scene. I'm gonna oh, cool. Okay, yes. we'll, we'll okay. go ahead and cover that up. Jack, do you remember that? Whenever uh, she gives birth to the the child, and then there's something else that comes out afterwards, and it's like a fly, like a little, <laughs> little cocoon. <laughs> it's twins. You don't uh, remember? Okay. No, I'm not recalling. Okay. Um, so drug use, none of that this week. Eh. Car crash. Wait, mm. does beer drinking count as drug use? To a seven-day Adventist, yes. yes. But to an Australian, it is breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> so That's a good point. Toss up there. Uh, adaptation, definitely cry in the dark. Uh, mm mm-hmm. Also released as Evil Angels, uh, per the book, uh, an adaptation. Yeah. Uh, there was no eating of junk food by a woman that I recall. Uh, so the Adventists are health nuts. Uh, well, I guess I wouldn't call them nuts, just they're healthy people, vegetarians. So they're not going to be eating a lot of junk food. And still of the night, I don't think anybody really eats. It's all uh, movie sets. Uh, let yeah, me see. There's some scenery that's chewed a little bit. <laughs> True. Oh, Definitely a wig in both movies, I would say. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Plural. Uh, dream Plural. sequence? The it was one of those in Still the Night. Wasn't made by Dali, but it was still a dream sequence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the crux of the whole story, isn't it? It unfortunately is. Um, <laughs> Streep doesn't die this week. Congrats. Uh, or her character doesn't. Um no makeovers in either film, even though they really wanted to give her one in uh, A Cry in the Dark. Yeah, she had three hairstyles in Cry in the Dark. True, but there wasn't um, a makeover like there was maybe in Iron Lady where she gets her voice to change. Or now, remember, Do you remember the montage where they're about to go to court and they're doing the makeover and then the guy is looking for the brush and then he says, where's my brush? And uh, there's a dingo at the door with the yes. brush in his mouth. <laughs> Jack, you remember this as well? Oh yeah, that was my favorite part of the movie. Um, hey, this week to conclude, we get Meryl Boob in both movies, if I remember right. Um, yeah. Woo. More, yeah. 
And Do you remember those, Jack? Uh, yes. Uh, describe what a boob feels like. <laughs> it's like a bag of sand. Uh, yeah. The uh, one thing that I thought maybe we should add to the bingo card would be Meryl Pregnant. Because we do have a few uh, over the course of how many movies have we seen with her in it so far? Are we up to fourteen now? Uh, yeah, fifteen, sixteen, fifteen. Yeah, uh, she's been pregnant a, a good amount of them. Yeah, and in the making of the first movie we're going to talk about, she was a fairly new mom. In Still True. of the Night, let's go ahead and talk about Still of the Night. Okay. Still of the Night. 1982, let me read the letterboxed for Still of the Night. Please. 1982, directed by Sir Robert Benton. No, he's not a sir. If looks could kill, dot, dot, dot. When one of his patients is found murdered, psychiatrist Dr. Sam Rice is visited by the investigating officer, but refuses to give up any information. He's then visited by the patient's mistress, Brooke Reynolds whom he quickly falls for despite her being a likely murder suspect. As the police pressure on him intensifies, Rice decides to attempt solving the case on his own and soon discovers that someone is trying to kill him as well. Not bad. Pretty good, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, all the visiting uh, sounds like it's going to be a Christmas carol or something. (laughs) I was thinking the same thing. It also front loads, uh, like most of the movie, right? Like it's the first five minutes of the film that most of that review covers. But yeah, that's yes. pretty good. Yeah. So, nineteen eighty-two, uh, we great year for Spielberg, Poltergeist, and ET. Yeah. Poor year for Eastwood, Firefox, and Honky Tonk Man. Hey, Honky Tonk Man's a favorite. Yeah. Okay, okay. And uh, a great year for a young actor by the name of Nicholas Coppola in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. That's right. Wicked. So he would become Nicholas Cage after afterwards, credited after Fast Times. But at Fast Times, he's still Coppola. Mm-hmm. And Michael Mann? Nothing for Michael Mann. I think this is the year between Thief and uh, The Keep. Uh, Harmony Corinne would be about five. Uh, <laughs> but this year, kind of importantly for her career, career uh, Meryl Streep also did Sophie's Choice. Oh, yeah. yes. And I-, I wanted to talk about quality aside for Still of the Night. I think it's a f- fascinating piece of the whole Meryl Streep puzzle because it's, it's really the last movie she made before she became Meryl Streep in all caps with Sophie's choice. Um, she, she made this movie with Robert Benton cause he wrote and directed a little movie called Kramer versus Kramer, which won everybody an Oscar. Even the craft uh, food services people won an Oscar for that movie. Um, mm-hmm. She did not, she did not like this movie. She didn't know how to get into the character. Didn't, doesn't like the genre of film noir as she calls it. Um, but she loved working with Benton. And one of the results of, they're working on Kramer versus Kramer is her one big monologue scene uh, in still of the night was pretty much instigated by Streep much like the um, her on the stand at the end of Kramer versus Kramer was as well. She, she, this is the one movie that she, she does not like. 
in Correct. Wow. Yeah. And Queen Meryl by Aaron Carlson, which you can check out from the Multnomah County Library. Shut up. Uh, Meryl Streep uh, does call it a uh, a blip in her filmography, and she said, I just couldn't get a scene right. The dialogue seemed false. I got madder and madder because I knew the answer lay within me, but I just couldn't wrestle it up. I soaked all day, something I never did before. There's a lot of tension towards the end of the film because the answers have to be there. So, yeah, I think uh, there's something there about... Um, it being a film noir and her not being a fan of the genre, yeah. perhaps that just kind of broke her brain. She couldn't, she didn't know what she, because she doesn't want to be part of that genre. It isn't, isn't already conversant with it. Yeah. We get this film uh, instead. Yeah. This- I have a, I have a quote from 2000 in entertainment weekly where she kind of did a career overview and she talked about uh, in still the night and I'm not going to do her voice. Um, I don't know what I was doing in that. Again, I had no idea who my character was. I hate noir. It's not about playing a person, but a representation, usually of the girl. Kim Basinger in L.A. Confidential was the closest recently. That was a person. The ones that are just seen through mystery and smoke, I'm not interested in them. It's a pretty good quote. Holy shit. And it's, yeah, I mean, it makes sense uh, for what she brings. Yeah, she's the wrong person for the role. I agree. I That actually makes a lot of sense because her performance does come off as a little bit uneven in this. And I don't think it's a bad performance, but um, yeah. But also, really the char- doing. but also the character isn't, I mean, I guess we, let's get into the plot because there's a lot about this film that just doesn't make a lot of sense. But no, it was original. I think if we instead called it by its original title, it would help a little bit. You, did you get that, Ken, what the original title was? It's the in-movie movie of the Scream series. Jack? What are the adaptations of the story in Scream when they translate it to screen in Scream? I can't remember. It's Stab. Oh, right. Was that actually the original title? It was, yeah. If, if this had been rated R and more of a giallo where um, you actually get to see the killings, then then maybe. But that's a terrible title for this movie. Well, they they you know they tried to make a good film. They took a stab at it. So sure, <laughs> it makes more sense than Hook, where <laughs> it's about Peter Pan. Yeah, there. So I I don't think this is a very good movie, but I still like it. Um, and and part of it's because when I first watched it. Earlier this year, it was the first time I had seen Streep in a role where it wasn't, it was a sizable role, but it wasn't really um, with the Streep mystique that I was used to. Um, and and I was I was quite taken with how Benton shot, not, she, he didn't shoot her, but how he photographed her, <laughs> her, 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 uh, her icy blonde hair, which was taken from Eva Marie Saint's hair in North by Northwest. Um, it was just kind of a, a different Meryl Streep than I had I'd ever seen before and that that's what made me interested in doing the Streep season is actually watching this movie wow. even though even though it's not particularly good I do think it's it's entertaining in a a failure kind of way yeah it's interesting because uh it's almost like Brendan uses her as a um just an image somehow like it's more about how she looks in different scenes I, I feel than it is any character that she's developing or, or creating or embodying 
and she does look great. This, this she looks might be phenomenal. She, this might be the best she's ever looked in any of the movies we've seen. Yeah. She just looks like a movie star. Minus, minus Iron Lady, of course. <laughs> <laughs> well, I Did was... someone say Iron Lady? Oh, Jesus Christ. God. Uh, I was reading on the Wikipedia wait, wait, about Jesus God the- and Mary... Margaret Thatcher, that, that that doesn't sound like the right trilogy there, the Trinity guys. No. It depends who you ask. She went to hell anyway uh, with Ronald Reagan. Um, I was reading on the Wikipedia about all of the like Hitchcock inspirations that this movie took from, and it made me think about, kind of unrelated, but an argument that we have all the time uh, among ourselves and um, uh, Ryan about Tarantino. And the pastiches and some would say ripoffs that he takes from better movies. Um, and I haven't seen a lot of Hitchcock. I'm not a big Hitchcock fan, which is maybe why I don't like this movie too much. But um, yeah, I don't know. I was wondering what you guys thought about that. Yeah, this this is firmly in the slavish fanboy homage territory of Brian De Palma as far as Hitchcock goes. And I do I, like I Hitchcock, but I, I don't... I, 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 it feels like it's winking a little too much for the times that they he does pull inspiration. Mm. Yeah, there are plenty of times where you could feel, oh, this where you know there's going to be a bird in the dream house, <laughs> clearly modeled off off a film that Tippi Hedren, who plays Roy Scheider's mom, was in called The Birds. And I, I think this movie, I think this movie could actually work if one thing had worked, and that is chemistry between Scheider and Streep. If they had been combustible and hot together, um, I think all the stupid stuff that doesn't make sense, we would have forgotten about it. And Whoa, this wait, been... you don't think you don't think they were both hot in this movie? I don't think that they were hot together. Okay, they didn't have chemistry. I love Roy Scheider, and I love him playing this psychologist role. Um, and I love Streep playing a different Streep that I hadn't seen before. Um, but when they get together, um, yeah. I mean, I think Scheider had more chemistry with that, that bitchin' coat that that mugger stole from him. Than <laughs> yeah. So can we, can we just jump quickly through some of the plot? Because I had some – like, why do we – we open with the, like a piano playing in this weird green font over a full moon. And I'm getting like this like horror movie vibes uh, for the, from the moon, but the music itself sounds like an inspirational story. Wait, uh, that doesn't and, count as piano playing on the bingo. It's not if it's uh, it has to be. Um, what's the word I want to use? Like within diegetic. the scene itself. Thank you, diegetic. I re- I re- I actually wrote early music, not thriller like. <laughs> my note so yeah. i agree with you the yeah. music is i mean maybe if vincent price came in and said something over it then it'd be a little bit more thriller like but <laughs> as it were yeah it seemed extremely strange and then you have somebody going uh through different cars trying to break into them because it's new york city in the early 80s and then there's a body and i thought that was a pretty interesting way of like introducing a dead body that that is a, a 1950s noir opening, if ever there was one. If it had had better music, and it was in black and white, which they had considered at one point making this movie black and white. Um, I don't think it would have benefited from it. Well, you win an Os- all the Oscars like Benton did, and this is the movie he wanted to make. Uh, it's interesting that he didn't push harder for it. 
In fact, maybe well, maybe everybody would be black and white, but just one person can have color on a dress or something. Then you can get an Oscar. Oh, like uh, like a Robert Rodriguez movie. Yes, like Sin yeah. City. Yes. Yeah. Um, or Schindler's List, another Robert Rodriguez. <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> Robert Rodriguez is Schindler's List. What would that look like? Like it was shot in a closet. <laughs> Uh, oh, anyway, boy. sorry. Continue. No, but then then there's this amazing thing that uh, is just I don't know. They cram so much character development in to the Roy Schneider character, Schneider character, because he's he has a patient in his therapist office who can't pay him money, and he's like, "Why did I ever do it for money in the first place?" Right? Come see me again next week. Then uh-huh. we find out like immediately from like a well, is it like a I don't know uh, answer phone a um. Uh, maybe it's like a voice. Not what was the old voicemail, Ken, that you guys used to have back uh, whenever you had analog phones? An answering machine. Oh, answering machine. Thank you. Um, <laughs> that says something about like how his divorce is final or something. Maybe he's talking on the phone. And he's also like listening and watching sports. And it's like everything that's you need to know about this character. They just shove in to a minute worth of film time. I, I love how movies used to do that. It's like he gets a call from his wife saying that it was final and how's the new apartment. He's literally living in his office, right? Or his office is his apartment. Um, yeah, they get it all out of the way within within a couple minutes. Uh, we, we did not say that this is a Rambo family reunion because Street played Rambo's ex-wife in Kramer versus Kramer. Uh-huh. And Roy Scheider played his brother in Marathon Man. So... Wow, Hoffman connections here. That's great. Anyway, that's a <laughs> side content. Uh, what do you guys think about the washing machine scene where he goes uh, to wash some clothes? I love, I love that old films used to have people doing things that regular people do, even if they yeah. were psycho- even if they could afford to later on in the movie spit drop ten grand just to save somebody from the cops. Uh, I think the laundry room scene is one of my favorite scenes in the movie. And that that's what got me over the hump of wanting to watch the rest of it the first time is because it's so simple. And it's just uh, a director and a cinematographer kind of getting off on creating suspense with cuts and lighting. Um, it's, it's really simple. It's definitely better than the washing machine scene in she devil. <laughs> Unfair. Unfair. <laughs> What do you think about the dream? Because I think that's like the next big thing that happens in the in the film. And then do we want to spoil this film so no one has to watch it? Can we just say what happens at the end or should we leave a little bit? Yeah. So I think if you're a Meryl Streep fan, even though this movie is not wholly successful um, in what it wants to do, it is a, a fascinating piece of the Meryl Streep puzzle. And you should see it for that. Yeah. Um, if you're looking for a, a solid Hitchcock homage, um, stick, stick to De Palma. Yeah, and uh, I I would like to talk about the ending because it is incredibly similar to uh, a film that we covered earlier in this podcast. I know exactly which one you're talking about. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the dream it has like it has. Are you t- talking about when the teddy bear starts bleeding or whatever? Or the- yeah, there's a yeah. Kid, creepy kid in a window. There's a cat on a roof. There's a bird in a cabinet that scared the shit out of my cat who was sitting on my lap watching the film <laughs> with me, and then tore off some of my flesh. There's a green box. <laughs> That changes in size, which is I thought was pretty cool. And then, yeah, there's the teddy bear where the little girl 
does she pull out the eye? Yeah, and then it starts bleeding. Yeah. Which is not unlike another Hitchcock movie called um, Spellbound, right? That's the doll. That's the Dolly one with the uh, with the dream sequence. Yeah, Vertigo as well for the uh, sequences that are um, kind of psychedelic. Yeah, yeah. I had the um, the the family settings on the TV set to Hitchcock Blocker, so that's probably why you didn't get to see many of them as you were growing up, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh. <laughs> So the so the, the, the whole block. <laughs> so the the whole setup of this movie. If uh, you've seen any Joe Ezerhaus movies, they start off with uh, a murder and uh, usually a female suspect, sometimes a male suspect, and they seem guilty. And the movie spends the entire running time making you think they're not, and then it turns out they are. Uh, this movie is kind of like that in reverse, where they keep trying to make you think that the woman is guilty throughout the runtime. And at the end, spoilers, she's not. Which is maybe what frustrated Meryl Streep about it also, right? Because she didn't know what which way she was supposed to play the character. But but I don't think it was like Daniel Defoe. I was thinking about this from our American Psycho guesting on um, the Film versus Film podcast. Uh, with with American Psycho uh, and they, uh, the director having... Uh, uh, well, I'm gonna play his name, Green Goblin. Willem Dafoe. Willem, Willem Dafoe. Dafoe do three different takes with three yeah. different scenarios in his mind, or also just the um, Christian Bale getting the job because he didn't need to go into the history. He just needed to know what was trying to be portrayed on screen at that moment. Mm. The image. Um. So yeah, it had me think a little bit about that. The other part of it is that her character doesn't quite make sense. Like how quickly that she falls in love with the, the therapist, why she even shows up at the therapist to turn in the, is it the lighter that she wants to return? It's the uh, watch. The watch. Giving, thank you. Yeah. Um, it's some trinket, which has no real importance. Throughout. It's just the MacGuffin, right? Yeah. It's just a reason to get her in there and have them start talking. Yeah. And then at some point, like she's like kissing and hugging on him. And uh, of course, uh, the mom has to intervene and show up because it's like this classic Hitchcock thing of uh, kind of a psychoanalytical uh, um, uh, complex. Uh, But yeah, there's like, why does the actual baddie, the actual killer, kill the uh the mugger who's wearing roy's jacket like why does she want to kill roy at all because she thinks he knows what his former patient what was really going on that Uh, he was worried about her and and in the when scheider is reading over his case notes um his 47 year old hards 47 by the way this guy um yeah who was somehow was married and was able to bag Meryl Streep and um, whatever her name was, the other lady, the killer. Um, He's always really vague about it. And when he alludes to it, it leads Scheider to think he's talking about Meryl Streep when he's really talking about the other lady. But Meryl Streep's character does, does have a murder in her past. 
Yes, which, that is the monologue that she pretty much wrote with Benton. Whoa. Which, if there's ever an unlockable, you know how sometimes in uh, video games like Mortal Kombat, you can unlock characters? I think we yes. talked about this in a different. If there's ever a Meryl Streep uh, Mortal Kombat unlockable character, she should be able to do that spin move. Because <laughs> yes. Yes. It both kills her dad and the killer who's coming after her at the end of the film. Yes. Who killed her boss slash lover. Brief lover. I thought she was breaking it off with him, even though I guess yeah. the watch was there the night uh, of the murder. So, who? yeah, I, so wait, yeah. I gave up on the on the movie towards the end of just trying to like piece <laughs> together the, the logic. I just knew who was bad and who was good. So she wrote that monologue? Or, yeah, that wasn't in the original script. That's a, a connection to the Uwe Bull season where uh, Burt Reynolds wrote his dying monologue in In the Name of the King, A Dungeon Siege Tale, because he hated the original dialogue so much. I was thinking more related to Kramer versus Kramer, where she worked with the same director and did the same thing. But yeah, that that's good, too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just miss Uwe Bull season, guys. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, um, so the, the, the big set pieces, quote unquote set pieces, uh, the, the laundry room, um, the dream sequence, and then we have, um, the auction sequence, which I really like the auction sequence. I love the, when directors do the geography thing where they set like that yeah. chest brace thing. So you know exactly where you are. It's the same with the, um, the centerfold in Die Hard. It, it, it's such a easy, clever visual cue of where you are at any given time. Mm. Um, and not much happens there. I mean, I know he does piece together. I, I don't understand. Somebody is blackmailing her because they, I don't understand. It doesn't really make a whole lot of sense when you think about it, but he finds out that she once killed or was responsible for her father's death. Which I thought he already knew. I thought the new ev- the new thing was that someone was blackmailing her or that she was ripping it up and he came into the office. Mm-hmm. So it was something like it seemed like she was trying to hide it. But yeah, it, that doesn't make a lot of sense necessarily. But also he drops. Didn't we establish in the Nicolas Cage season that ten thousand dollars is enough to uh, hire a hitman? He drops fifteen thousand dollars on that yeah. fucking drawing. Yeah. Just to get, just to be able to pass her a note that says the cops are there. Yeah, I, I I kept for some reason I Mandela affected a scene where he was talking to the people afterwards, saying, "Well, no, that was a mistake. I really can't afford that." Um, I may be thinking of a different movie. I feel like there's they, another auction movie where that happens. Yeah, it might be because it it seems uh, that whole sequence though. Um, it feels like it could even be a Clint Eastwood. At this point, but now I'm uh, bursting, bursting it myself. <laughs> but yeah, so he drops 15 large and then turns around and drives to Long Island. We've all been there. To on the on the off chance that she ha- that Mer- the Meryl Streep character has gone back to her family estate there because somebody happens to mention that that might be where she would go. I mean, I'm not a free spirit, but I mean, yeah, that that for. Um, I don't know, a professional person. I don't know. That seems like a lot to go at. But the other big scene thing that we didn't talk about was the, I liked a lot, was the park sequence. Oh, yeah. The walking in Central Park, getting mugged. I love, then... I love, yeah, because you have the legs. Like, it's like a chase scene, but you just see the legs. I love that, right? Wherever the frame is following them and it's just below the waist and you're seeing the feet. And then um, 
after the mugger takes his jacket and doesn't help him out of the park, the mugger gets killed, but we, we don't see it, uh, which is another thing that made me feel like Benton really isn't interested and stab. in kind of in the kind of violence <laughs> that that makes these kind of movies work. I mean, we've we've seen enough of them that, you know, a, a Giallo or a De Palmer, there would be lots of. So blood. that means yes. that the person who uh, is the actual baddie, the other her uh, Meryl Streep's co-worker had a Meryl Streep wig. And decided to dress up as Meryl Streep across, and hang out across from her apartment. So that's in the off chance that Roy would show up. And he did. I don't know. Yeah, of course. Yeah, but the, the other cool thing, though, is that, uh, when, and it's, I guess both these films have interesting like moments where sound doesn't match up with the image. Or the image doesn't match up with the sound. Because, yeah, in, the sequence, in that sequence when they're walking in the park, uh, you keep hearing the sound of the walking without the feet, right? Like there's a, there's interesting sound choices being made um, during that sequence. And, and she's gone all of a sudden whenever that happens. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I feel like those decisions are stylistically the best part of the movie because they feel very uh, Giallo esque. And I, I love Giallos. Um, I love how they're all kind of interchangeable at a certain point, And I love the style of them. And I love how they all inexplicably like end exactly the same. And I love like a good Giallo riff. And I feel like this is an okay one. Um, it definitely should be bloodier. I completely agree with that. Well, Benton throughout his career made a lot of um, homage pastiches of, of crime films. Besides this one, he did. Um, what else did he do? Uh, he did Twilight. He also made The Late Show, which is a detective story with Art Carney, of all people. Um, and I think that after having seen Kramer versus Kramer, his very humanistic leanings, that maybe genre films aren't really for him as much as he might like them. Um, because he, he kind of holds back quite a bit in this movie. And if you watch something like a later work like um, Twilight with Paul Newman and Kirsten Stewart. <laughs> <laughs> uh he just they they almost feel like cozies instead of um a noir does that make sense yes like it's something you could watch in a retirement home yes as we often say they lean like this still of the night could be in a retirement home maybe not the massage scene um but m- this movie this entirety of it could be shown in a retirement home at 1 p.m on a sunday before bedtime and uh it would it would go over pretty well <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like similar to uh, a lot of Clint Eastwood movies, including Play Misty for Me. Which also ends with a crazed killer it's, going it's, over a balcony. It's insane. It is almost exactly the same thing, uh, the same scene as the ending of Play Misty for Me. Yeah. Except this one has uh, a Chekhov's balcony scene with Meryl Streep <laughs> saying how her father died. <laughs> and then she does the same move. Yeah. Right. Right. Thomas, Thomas, did we lose you? No, no. I was just thinking about dark man in my head. It's my place. I go to, <laughs> there's a scene at the end of dark man where, uh, the titular dark man fights the, the baddie who's a developer on some high steel. And, he, and, but the, oh, the twist yeah. there is that, uh, dark man's out of his league. Like, uh, he, he didn't grow up on the high beams. I like Dark Man. Benton does do some pretty 
pretty good suspenseful moments. The dream sequence with the, the little girl following the guy, super creepy. Like when he's in that narrow staircase going up to the top floor and she just appears behind him. I don't know what it is about kids, but yeah. Uh, and then yeah. the appearance, the appearance of the killer after killing all these people, she just stabbed Scheider in the shoulder. In the arm. Just... Yeah. <laughs> Why doesn't she kill him? Like all these other guys have slit throats. They're like stabbed. We and see the cop. And don't they say from the mugger, like, oh, he was killed in the same method as the guy they find in the card that opens the movie. Yeah. And so there's an MO there, right? This this woman has a way of killing people, uh, of slicing them up dead. And yeah, Roy gets a cut in the arm. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Phew. Um, yeah, um, I, the, the ending, the play misty for me thing i thought about it both times i saw it so reminiscent um i like play misty for me a lot better that movie is it makes a lot more sense yeah play misty for me is great all right well while jack finds some google reviews should we try and figure out what andy's going to say of merrill's that she is in this film uh she is merrill's massage I was going to say Meryl's spin move. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I disappointing, uh, reviews this week. There weren't any on Google or letterboxd that were funny or interesting. So I will have to stick to our own guns and not care about what the internet says. Yeah. They're probably wrong anyway. Um, Oh, uh, because she killed her father and the, the killer the same way. I wrote that she has, PBTSD, post balcony traumatic stress disorder. Oh, okay. Was, so you you decided to step into the Roy uh, <laughs> profession and do a little psychoanalysis there. Yes. Do a little therapy. Okay. Are we gonna take a break? Well, do you guys know what metallic matches are? No. Newsweek film critic David Anson said Schneider uh, and Streep are no Cary Grant and Grace Kelly. You can't strike a flame with two metallic matches. Whoa. Huh. Brutal. That is pretty brutal. And it is fascinating that after Sophie's choice, it was off to the races for her becoming the icon that you know she is today. Yeah, it I seemed remember. like it, if it wasn't for that, if it wasn't for Sophie's choice that opened up a month afterwards, that she could have been buried by Still of the Night. Mm-hmm. Wow. It, it is hard to believe a movie made by the director, writer, actress of the biggest movie just a few years prior, 1979, um, how badly it bombed. Plus, it, it Chief Brody's also in it. Not- From Jaws? Yeah. Yeah, Joe Gideon. <laughs> right. Right. Watch all that jazz. Let that baby go. <laughs> is it snowing where you are thomas it is nice some of it's sticking in the trees at least and are you underneath the hawthorne bridge at a party <laughs> oh i wish i don't get invited to those kind of kind of things you have to, you're not a dancer what's new with you i got acupuncture for the first time last night oh my god why uh why uh, was it only the first time 
I don't. <laughs> I don't necessarily think that it, it does much. Uh, I've always. That's where they stick the needles in your face, right? Uh, they did stick a needle in my face. Yes. What, did it hurt? I mean, that always looked terrifying to me. It doesn't go very deep. It didn't hurt very much. Oh. It's noticeable for a, a moment. Huh. Hey, you know who loved acupuncture? Hitler? <laughs> Kanye uh, West? Who? <laughs> uh, I was going to say Pinhead from that Hellraiser, because he had all the pins sticking out of his head. Oh, wow, that's a coincidence both, that both his name was Pinhead and he had all those pins sticking out of his head. Sen- Senegal is losing 2-zip to England, by the way. Now you guys are following the World Cup. Boo, go England. Boo. I wonder if it's snowing there. <laughs> England has never lost anything. Maybe some teeth. Yeah, so let's uh, let's talk... Evil Angels, released in the States as a cry in the dark. 1990, no, 1988. Mm-hmm. The same year as Deadpool and Bird. Ooh. Yeah, why do they do that with films sometimes? Like that other Australian movie, um, Outback, I think it was released in the US, and it's actually called Fuck. You know what I'm talking about? It's called Fuck? No, it's... I don't think they could, they could play that <laughs> in a cinema here, Jack. No, it's the one with the, uh, the guy and uh, the the kangaroos. Oh fuck! Wake and Fright, one of the Wake best movies. Fright, yes, the best Australian movie not called Road Warrior ever made. Yes, made by a Canadian <laughs> <laughs> who also directed Rambo. Yeah, First Blood, starring uh, Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> <laughs> it all comes together. Yeah, um, I think the main reason uh, to answer your question, Jack, is. Uh, John Bryson's novel, I'm sorry, not novel, nonfiction book uh, about the trial of Lydia Chamberlain was called Evil Angels. Mm-hmm. And so uh, you would want to have the movie of the same name uh, if you were familiar with the book. Evil Angels sounds like, I don't know, a horror movie? Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't really have a lot to do with the actual movie. No, and in reading some in reading some of that book, uh, I actually had to do a search on an electronic version of the book, which you can check out from Oma County Library. Shout out! Uh, and uh, Evil Angels uh, goes back to the Seventh Day Adventists' understanding of um, it's a little bit like a Schadenfreude or um, people who uh, take comfort in other people's misery. And they were calling the people who were uh, oh. uh, so the Millerites. They believed that the world was going to end. They all went up on this mountain. It didn't happen. They went back again uh, later, and it still didn't happen. And they called those people who were doubted and who uh, cast aspersions on the uh, Millerites, who would later become the Seventh Day Adventists and Jehovah's Witnesses. They called them evil angels. So uh, all those like, people, whenever we cut to them during the film, uh, Jack, you remember this? Whenever we cut to all these people during the film and they're like uh, talking about how she did it and how dingoes are national treasures and how they want to elect a dingo for president. Um, all those people would be like evil angels underneath the context of this. Wait, were you saying okay. were you saying Miller lights like the beer? <laughs> yes, let's feel like cartoon cans. Yes. <laughs> 
it's a little bit like what they used to do. Didn't they used to during the Super Bowl have uh, Bud and Bud Light like play football against each other? Are you talking about the Bud Night? <laughs> oh, do you remember those commercials? Holy <laughs> those shit! Were they so made so good. I remember when the Bud Knight fought the Mountain from Game of Thrones. That was crazy. Uh, what about Bud Air? Or Air Bud, <laughs> as he's known oh, in the we, States. Do you want to do the, the letterbox for Evil Angels? Oh, you want us to not just quit riffing on stuff? Because in 1988, <laughs> Vampire's Kiss also came out. One of the best Nicolas Cage films. Uh, yeah, oh, one yeah. of his best performances. Yeah, please. Um... Richard Jewell thinks quick, works fast, and saves hundreds, perhaps thousands of lives after a... Oh, no, wait. that That's another story that starts off with a did he or didn't he and a public outcry. Uh, that's weird that Richard Jewell is the movie that I thought of watching Cry in the Dark. That makes sense. Um, 1988, directed by Fred Shepsey. A family torn apart, a public filled with outrage, a woman accused of murder. Based on the true story of Lindy Chamberlain, who, during a family camping trip to Ayers Rock in Central Australia, claimed she witnessed a dingo take her baby daughter, Azaria, from their tent. Azaria's body was never found, and after investigations and two public inquests, she is charged with murder. Whoa. Uh, she being the Meryl Streep character of Lindy Chamberlain, not the mm-hmm. daughter. <laughs> or the or the dingo, yeah, the dingo I guess could be a, a female can it. All right, I, I, before we start, um, I have to ask one question of both of you. And Thomas, I don't think you watched this movie. Um, is Meryl Streep's haircut in A Cry in the Dark worse than Amy Adams's haircut in Julie and Julia? Yes. Okay. Um, I have a question as well. Could you guys not take this movie seriously because of the Seinfeld? No, as the movie went on, I, I kind of got a little upset at how uh, Seinfeld added yes. to the denigration of the people. Because I quote that all the time, but um, I saw this movie when it originally came out. But watching it last night, I was like, uh, maybe I'm not going to quote Julia Dewey Dreyfus saying that again. Because I kind of feel like I'm part of the other people oh. in the story. Yeah, it's really not something to make light of. Um, though, no. although, although the Seinfeld is how it entered, uh, you know, popular consciousness for my generation at least, and then even then, didn't I didn't know what it was referring to aside from like some obscure Meryl Streep film. Yeah. Right. I remember hearing about this uh, story, Dad. I think you told me this when I was like a little kid, and we went camping or something. And you're like, "Don't feed the dogs." <laughs> classic dad yeah like look at that look at that that's the largest rock in the pacific northwest son (laughs) (laughs) Uh, wow there's so many parallels now you you guys are also teetotalers you're vegetarians (laughs) Uh uh-huh wow okay belong to a formerly apocalyptic uh uh religion uh oh i i have i have another question for you about this movie is it better than Mr. Baseball? <laughs> no. Um, I have this long-standing thing about why men don't wear shorts 
in movies because uh, it does it does not look good. Do you think yes. Sam Neill wearing shorts uh, uh, makes that theory correct or incorrect? Moot. Completely. I, he he wears some pretty short shorts and some but, high socks in this but, movie. But yeah, the latter is what help. I think what helps if you the were, socks. Yes, I think the socks covering enough of the legs that you don't like the shorts. It nullifies the shorts. I am Sam Neill's short shorts in this, in this movie? movie. Okay, sexy preacher. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so um, Thomas, do you want to go over? The, I mean, the plot. Everybody kind of knows the plot. I actually I did it going into it. Uh, Had neither we, of you seen this before? No. Nope. Okay. Jack, have you seen it at all? Yes, I have. Okay. Do you remember the dream sequence that Meryl Streep's character has where the dingo talks to her? Uh, yeah, I remember that. And I remember the dream sequence where the dingo runs for president. Or whatever <laughs> we established earlier. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah, Thomas, tell us uh, about the plot of this movie. Well, this is a true story, as the uh, title card tells us. With a period at the end, too, uh-huh. which was very definitive. Serious. Yeah. Better than an explanation point. I think that would be more like <laughs> informant, the uh, Soderbergh film. Uh, <laughs> or mother. Uh, so... I uh, unlike the other film, I think that this film does a great job of subtly um, establishing the uh, the elements of the film that are going to come back later on without uh, hanging a lantern on any of them. So you start off with a christening. So you see the ba- you see the the baby who is going to be abducted by the dingo, right? Hank Azaria, right? As soon as we. <laughs> Step out of like they have the christening and then they step out of the church, uh, and which is a Seventh day Adventist church. And truckers drive by, so automatically you have the outside looking in, saying mm-hmm. snide comments. And the Seventh day Adventists, uh, celebrate or uh, worship on Saturday, so you know who they are when they're leaving a church like on a Saturday. So that's yeah. where that comes in. Then, within like the first minute of the film, we are inside the room with. Meryl Streep's character and her daughter, and she's just made her a uh, article of clothing, and uh, her her son's there, and one of her friends are there, uh, and then we go right from that within like the first minute, minute and a half to the coffin, the baby coffin. So uh, creepy. Which is so, which not knowing where this film's going, I thought that the baby had already died. Like we just jumped in time. And then, no, we have the baby coffin, which will come back later, like an hour into the film. Jack, you know this, an hour into the film, um, where everybody's putting their cigarettes into it um, because, yeah, Seventh day Adventists don't believe in polluting the body. And then we, then we, then we're almost immediately after that to looking at the map. Uh, on the front of a car, talk about where they live, where they're going, where their grandparents live, and we're off. We're off to the races. Yeah. We're off to a giant rock in the middle of nowhere. Which people are taking photos of. And I love there are two almost identical shots of Sam Neill taking photographs where the camera moves through an enormous crowd of people taking Uh photos of this giant rock. I mean... You know, I mean, I'm not going to cast aspersions on people, but 
I mean, that's a lot of people for taking a picture well, of a rock. But also, if I remember right, looking at that map, it's in North Australia, and there's really nothing out there. Like, if you're going that far into the outback, you're only going to look at that rock. There's nothing out there to see, unless you were <laughs> well, part of, like, the Shining Path, and you're building nuclear weapons out there, <laughs> which is something that was true. happening. Or you are in um, a Mystery Road. Great movie. Oh, takes yeah. place in Australia. Oh, okay. It has nothing to do with, has nothing to do with this movie, but I thought I'd, Mystery Road is great. Well, it takes place in the same country. Yeah, yeah so, the, so the big thing for me, and the same continent. Um, so the big thing for me, <laughs> the most, one of the most interesting things, aside from like whenever they're editing the interviews and they say the media, uh, you could see behind the scenes, they say like put some science fiction music, like some sinister sci-fi music over it. Yeah. And you can see the manipulation that's happening is that you have the first inquest. Uh, they, there's, you know, they're not found guilty. The Supreme Court version of the uh, the high municipality of the uh, or the high judicial of the Australian government comes in and says, uh, "Try it again." And so you have a second trial, which is the bulk of the film is that second trial, and yeah. <laughs> they're found guilty. Like she's like both her and her husband are found guilty, uh, him as an accessory, and she goes to jail eight months pregnant. Fucking insane. I could not, like, this, and as the book says, like, because the, uh, the epilogue to the book is her exoneration. Well, it's not really exoneration, it's her free, she's being freed before she's fully exonerated, but still, it's, it's mind blowing that, uh, this happened to an individual. It's it's horrible, right? It's like the satanic panic of the of the mm-hmm. early eighties. Um, and um, I think as recently as ten years ago, they formally said that the Australian government formally said that that indeed the ding- a dingo did take their baby and kill it because they exonerated and innocent are one thing, but they never came out and formally said that was the cause of the baby. Well, Disappearing officially. The dingo died during interrogation. You remember that, Jack? <laughs> oh, the interrogation I, scene. It was hard to watch. I don't like seeing animal violence on screen. So, for all you Star Wars fans out there, this this was from the 1980s, and at that time, Dingo Fett was still a villain. Oh, bad. Boo. <laughs> dingo Unchained was so much better. <laughs> I don't know how to fit that in. <laughs> <laughs> But you just did. Thank you. That was yeah. yeah that was mine yeah. too. <laughs> Speaking of 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 like Streep though, just completely embodying this woman and becoming this character, I think this is absolutely maybe the best Streep performance we've seen on the season so far. I think there's two um, to it. I think that it's one of the best, and it's one of the best for like if, if uh, she has a project as an actor or an act. Uh, I think that this, especially at the time, this is this encapsulates it because uh, the character is found guilty because she doesn't exhibit the proper emotions. Yes. And she's not a better actress and she's too honest with herself. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things about this movie that I love so much, and I, I really like this movie, I was dreading having to watch a two hour movie uh, about it because I hadn't seen it since the 1980s. But within like 20 minutes, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm in for this. This is, this is a really well-made true crime story. 
And as it goes on, and it goes from did she or didn't she to being about something else, the template used structurally in this movie has been used hundreds and hundreds of times since. Um, I mean, Lifetime basically built almost an entire network out of doing films almost exactly based on this template. This one, this would probably start uh, Peter Wilson if it was made 20 years later on Lifetime. Um, but Streep, really, you, you're not sure about her as a viewer, even though we are told many times that what is happening is is ridiculous and she's being tried publicly and, and that's influencing what the police are doing. Um, yeah, let me yeah, why, why don't, let me pull this up. Real, oh, no, that's the wrong thing. That's the film IQ, also by Fred. I have a link here. What about Roxanne? Why do you talk about Roxanne, another great Fred show? Actually, between, it was between uh, – Roxanne happened right before this, right? So it would have been um, Sam Neill and Meryl Streep in – oh, what was it? Uh, uh, plenty and then Roxanne which was pretty good right like it's a good plain movie and then this um, no there was something that it was actually written up uh, on the Wikipedia article that just went through the uh, what the uh, evidence was like what the prosecution was trying to um, there we go prosecution claims the prosecution's theory was that in a five to ten minute absence from the campfire, Lindy returned to her tent, did whatever was necessary to stop her young son, Adian, from following her, changed it to a track uh, suit, took Azirio to her car, obtained and used scissors to cut Azirio's throat, <laughs> waited for Azirio to die, uh, then re- let me see, hit the body in a camera case in the car, cleaned up the blood and everything that included outside of the camera case, removed the tracksuit pants, obtained baked beans for her son from the car, returned to the tent, did something to leave blood splashes there, and brought her son, Aiden, back to the campfire without ever attracting the attention of other campers, except for the camper, Greg Lowe, who gave her son, like, it's 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 crazy. In five to ten minutes, they, they had her doing, like, magical stuff right and then and then yet the baby still was able to cry from the tent that somebody else heard and so but as like you said ken like all this like what they're saying is nonsense you know it can't be right but in your head you're like well everybody says that she's guilty and maybe she is just looking at her right like maybe that was just a fantasy that we saw or the, the the brief moment of the dingo uh that we were able to see in the tent maybe Maybe she, maybe this is uh, just misleading us. Yeah, and the great thing about the structure of this movie is it kind of starts out where you're not really sure, and then as soon as you start getting um, those cuts to like regular people discussing it, um, you start to understand what the movie's actually trying to say. It's kind of like um, Zodiac starts out as a mm. serial killer movie, and then becomes about something else, mm. and. The, whenever they cut away to these these shots of people talking, it is both horrifying and funny at the same time because um, people discussing this kind of thing, like we all do the same thing about true events, don't we? Yeah. And how, how much that plays into somebody being tried publicly before they're tried by the court of law and how that led to literally Meryl Streep's character being thrown in jail. She and spent five and a half years, gave birth to her daughter, her... her- uh, and missed out on the, on all that life. Uh, because yeah, the court of public opinion said that 
of course, uh, the Seventh-day Adventists would try and sacrifice a baby in the desert for some reason. And I, I love how those cuts to the regular people, they kind of escalate to where, like, one of the last ones, people are actually fighting over it, like physically fighting over it because they have a disagreement over it of something that happened hundreds and hundreds of miles away from them for people that they will never meet. And it's being framed by newspapers and TV shows. You you start a colony and then a continent of criminals. They're going to be fighting all the time. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. I, I, movies like this, though, or stories like this stress me out. Like, one of the things that I, um, I hate in, in movies and stories is when, like, someone turns like one of the good characters turns evil and then they have to like fight and turn them back. Cause it just like stresses me out. And I'm like, I know how this is going to end. Uh, star Wars turning of like evil or what do you, what do you say? Like as far as, I mean, I'm just rambling really. But okay. Like, what I mean is um, stories where the character is innocent or, you know, they're you're on their side and there's like this, ridiculous trial against them like um i mean kramer versus kramer is the same way the ending of that movie was like totally stressful for me because you know all that stuff that she's saying about dustin hoffman and that the lawyers are saying is completely ridiculous and that he actually does care for his son and uh yeah that that kind of thing just stresses me out and i don't really enjoy watching it even if i feel like it's well made yeah i was i was really surprised by how well made this movie was i, I guess my lack of wanting to watch it, maybe my expectations were low, but uh, from start to finish, I was like, I was totally down for it. Yeah, I wouldn't say that it was a gripping movie, or, but I would say that it's like it's very, very watchable. And as far as like a true story, and going through and reading sections of the book, like there a lot of the final pages of the final chapters of uh, the book are taken almost verbatim for the courtroom scenes. In many mm-hmm. ways, they had to be because very much like uh, Silkwood, um, lawyers were on set making sure that things were said correctly. And we we should also mention Meryl Streep does have a scene on the stand uh, in this. And between this and Kramer versus Kramer, I think she should contractually be on the stand in every movie she makes. Um. She is so good in these scenes and particularly in this one, because you can kind of see why people turned against her, but you can also see that her being innocent. Um, it, yeah. It's very frustrating, but her, yeah, her testimony yeah. scene is fantastic. Meryl yes. Streep, Stephen King's The Stand, uh, Meryl Streep, Stand By Me, the sequel, uh, <laughs> Meryl Streep, Stand and Deliver. Yeah. <laughs> All That's right. all I got. Um, That's pretty good. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, I I like uh, also that she is the strong one. I mean, uh, her husband is strong, but I mean, she never expresses any doubts for her religion or for things to, or a lot of emotion. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas like her husband, um, right before he's about to testify, uh, there's a framing of it and they're shot through like bars and it almost feels like he's, he doesn't want to get out of bed. It almost seems like he's in a crib himself just for the way mm. that the shot's set up. Mm. Um, and he, yeah, she's the, she's the strength of that, of that family, even though he's competent himself, he's just, uh, it, it just wears on him. And even though 
okay, Ken, I've never had a uh, pregnant wife. Mm-hmm. It sounds terrible to both be on trial, not to be able to go to college and like continue on with my master's because I have to be stuck in Australia with a bunch of thieves and drunks and uh, <laughs> uh, prosecuted for my, my religion. Uh, but, uh, you know, get on trial. And then on top of all that, a pregnant wife. Yeah, that sounds like a lot. Like one of those things would be enough. Did Did you all notice all the exteriors, at least one person is swatting a bug away from their face. <laughs> Australia is a hellscape. And <laughs> even that little note is, is enough to make me never want to live there. Every single scene is like swatting flies, swatting bugs away from their face. Yeah. And like, you know, if you, if you visit there and you're a tourist and some sort of accident happens, some sort of wild accident, you could uh, go to jail for five and a half years. Um. Sam Neill, though, uh, I, I like Sam Neill in this. He he kind of has, has kind of a two-note performance where he's a, a charming, smiling believer in the starting. And then he kind of gets into that Sam Neill constipated look that we know <laughs> and love from the last 30 years. I um, fucking love Sam Neill. He is one of my I do, too. He's one of you, my love, you love the Antichrist, then, because he was the Antichrist <laughs> in Exorcist 3. And Jurassic Park Lost World. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I love Sam Neill. I love um, that as time goes on, how they change the hair of both uh, Neil and and Streep's character to kind of fit what they actually look like, even if it's subtle changes. Um, oh, you love great, you love the hair. No, I love the attention to detail because okay. it, it feels it feels lived in, and uh, they aren't like bad fright wigs that we're talking about. Meryl Streep's um, haircut and this just reminded me of in Fleabag um, the sister <laughs> when she's like I look like a pencil. <laughs> yeah. I mean that if you look uh, at actual photos of Lindy Chamberlain at the time and it's it's spot on. Um and this is one of the few times that Meryl uh first name basis uh <laughs> went and met the person that who she was portraying whom she was portraying um oh really because she didn't do that for susan orlando right for adaptation she didn't do it for a number of things she didn't go back in time for out of africa for the other karen like uh, i don't <laughs> think she ever met uh well i guess she couldn't have met the karen from uh while uh silkwood right? right uh so this is one of the few times that she ever did and yeah the uh, two things that, uh, like to note there. One is like whenever uh, Meryl Streep was in Australia, she said that it felt a lot like uh, the Australian press was scrutinizing her as much as they had done Lindy, uh, the oh, character wow. she's portraying. Like they, they were just constantly there taking photos because this is very recent in the Australian uh, psyche, right? Uh, and so that so much so that like at one point Meryl actually burst into t- tears, like she was. Uh, so hounded by by people, but uh, yeah, whatever they met, um, Lindy came uh, with a Bible, and I think inside of it, where did she go? Oh, uh, she gave her uh, what was inside of the Bible that she carried with her in prison uh, to have uh, while she was shooting. So Holy like a little shit. memento, really. So yeah, they. Uh, I mean, as the end of the film shows, like. Uh, they're the, Lindy Chamberlain like does care about other people uh, who might ever be in the same position that she was in. 
That's kind of a, a big claim from Merrill, though. Like, yeah, this lady that went to prison for five and a half years, the press was hounding me just as much. I don't think she said it in that way. That was Thomas. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, the press is following you, Thomas? <laughs> the, I The Australian press is outside of my house right now, very confused that it's snowing <laughs> in the middle of summer. <laughs> and, I mean, after all you said about their people being a bunch of criminals and thugs, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. We, we still love George Miller, don't we? Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, both he made, of them. Both he made, of them. He made the other best movie based on a true story in Australia. Pig? Eastwick? No. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Not Witches Babe? of Eastwick. Oh, boy. Yeah, so okay. This, this, so the, the one thing about these two movies, though, think about this. They're like six years apart, right? Yes. It is amazing Streep and the, the cachet she has from 1982 to 1988. Um, without Meryl Streep in this role, we wouldn't, obviously we wouldn't be watching it, but it would not still be a movie that people revisited. And I think people will. Yeah. Top build. Right. And rightfully so for this film. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a world of difference between these two movies in just a short amount of time. Well, I think this movie, so both of the movies that we, we are covering this week were flops in the box office. Um, I think with uh, A Cry in the Dark, uh, American audiences weren't familiar enough with what was going on to care, especially because it happened so long in the past. And then Australians already had like a glut or they were just satiated. Like they didn't need any more. Mm. Um, And so they weren't really receptive to it at the time, even though it won a bunch of their version of the Oscars. Mm -hmm. Um, And and Meryl Streep would be nominated for Best Actress for this, uh, rightfully so, right? But yes. after this, Meryl would go on, again, first name basis, uh, would go on to do um, lighter films, films with uh, where she could really sparkle and uh, just fine, fine cinema, uh, including She Devil and Postcards from the Edge. Oh, God. Yeah. Uh, so this-, this is the movie that I, uh, I think where she after this movie she takes a little bit of a break from the seriousness yeah and it also came out the same year as crocodile dundee 2 um, which she was not in which probably turned a lot of people off to movies taking place in australia for a while yeah yeah because it was cool whenever uh hogan right was uh in in new york but you don't want to go back to australia yeah did we ever see Crocodile Dundee in Los Angeles? Was That's that the one? Movie. Is that the one with the sun? Um, is that the one with Kurt Russell playing basketball? Oh my god! It's it was directed by Simon Winsor, who directed Lonesome Dove. Whoa! So um, it has to be good. Has Crocodile Dundee ever gone to space? Um, that would be a good, you know, because he spends half the movie in Australia and half the time somewhere else, so. I like that idea. Yeah, it's a good idea. Or a crocodile Dundee in Middle Earth. It could just be half in modern Australia and the other half hanging out with Aragorn and. Well, I, I would say guys. I would say modern day Australia is already pretty close to Mordor. <laughs> oh, speaking of Kiwis, um, one of the things that Streep got um, uh, people did not like in Australia was Streep's accent. 
because it had a tinge of New Zealand to it, which makes sense because the actual Lindy uh, Chamberlain was from New Zealand originally. Oh, shit. She's so so good. Her accuracy actually went against her uh, in, in the reception of this. Wow. Well, her, good for her. Her accent game is always on point. You can always rely on that. Yeah, it, it almost becomes a punchline, but in watching these movies, uh, it's pretty extraordinary how well she inhabits both the characters and the way they talk. And here's something interesting, just to, like a, a look behind the curtain, maybe. Uh, this being in Queen Meryl, the book. Uh, in a press conference uh, to promote Cry in the Dark, um Meryl was asked whether she brought Lindy Chamberlain, the character, of course, not the real woman, home each night and confused her <laughs> children because she had three young kids by that time. And she responded, well, they're used to seeing me pregnant, so the weight doesn't bother them. And I take my wig off before I come home and they see me scrub. So uh, they think that they're going to see and know who they're going to see when I walk through the door. I don't bring the part home. I mean, it's already too long of a day with. Uh, the director, you know, it's it's just too long. I just want to come home. I'm going to forget it. And it's a relief to do that. And if you have children, you know, they demand your attention and something's shaking. So, yeah, it sounds like uh, there's no reason. Lady. Yeah, she does her job extremely well and comes home and is part of her family. It's not like Jared Leto on the set of Morbius. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, that doesn't sound like something she would do. Well, do great. we have do we have the internet, Jack? Yeah, we have a couple a couple Google reviews <laughs> here for a Cry in the Dark or Evil Angels, nineteen eighty eight. Uh, Anne Marie Stewart three years ago says, "Awesome, but I don't believe a dingo killed the baby. Look at the blood evidence." <laughs> did not get the movie at all, did she? I think it was nope. Jared Leto. Dolores Howard two years ago gives it five stars and says I thought this movie might be partially true is it (laughs) wow what she didn't I guess they missed the (laughs) they they missed the opening title card yes because that was a period it wasn't a question mark (laughs) and skip the credits finally I guess we have two people that didn't get the movie finally we have one that did get it Karen McKeechee gives it five stars and says, It angered me how the masses became judge and jury with their views. Four people found this helpful. Oh, okay. Uh, Thomas, do we want to guess which movie Jack watched and which one he didn't? Oh, he definitely didn't watch A Cry in the Dark. Um, Jack, okay, how about this? How about this? Jack, at the very end, were you confused at the very end? Did you you think it was a little bit like, um, what was the VHS? uh, Was it Fat City? Yeah. Did you think it was like Fat City where it was confusing at the end because all of a sudden the the camera quit moving, but the audio kept going during the last press conference? Uh, uh, Ken, why don't you take a crack at it before I answer that? Uh, I think the specificity of the Play Misty for me ending of still the night makes me think you did not see a cry in the dark okay would it surprise you two to learn that i did not watch either of these movies (laughs) (laughs) yeah you did great thank you i tried um i i I read the wikipedias and i watched a couple select scenes from youtube but i just wanted to be in on the fun i didn't want to miss it you know come on shoot shoot shit with the boys every week it's it's my favorite Uh, part of my whole life 
actually, I have a small confession. I've never seen a movie. <laughs> I just read as much as I can. Uh, uh, that is a, a, an interesting ending, though, uh, to the film where they decide not to to stop the frame and to really well, give it, to really give weight to the the final line. And it also gives a, lot, a sense of things moving on and still being like that for them after the the movie ends. Uh, it's kind of genius in a way. I think I will watch um, A Cry in the Dark, even though I kind of know how it ends, I guess, now. But it's, it does look really interesting. Yay. Yeah. If we can get one person who pretended to like A Cry in the Dark to actually watch <laughs> it. We have done our job, Thomas. Hey, do you, I'm curious what uh, a former prime minister of England might say about either of these films. God. But before we get there, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, uh, Maggie. Uh, I am Meryl's tube socks and uh, floral peasant dress, I guess. I am Meryl's lawnmower in prison. Uh, (laughs) I am Sam Neill's short shorts and glistening golden thighs. What did you watch? <laughs> <laughs> all it's a bony bo- ass knees, man. Uh. <laughs> but those legs go is all the way up, my, Sam. Is it my turn yet? Oh, are we ready for Margaret Thatcher? Oh. <laughs> she made the. She made the. Every time she appears, she makes the dog bark. In the still of the night, of this, L. Ron Hubbard and I are in complete agreement. Psychologists are rubbish. Sidebar, I once suspected Dennis of carrying on with another bird, but it turns out he'd simply gotten addicted to smoking mandrax. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) A cry in the dark? A cry in the dark, or evil angels. Your baby was eaten by a stray dog? Why, of course, dear. Have you seen the price of milk lately? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thank, Thank you, Margaret. Thank you, Maggie. Toodaloo. Oh, that's right. pretty funny. Uh, so we are not going to wrap this up. We are going to uh, Andy, our fourth street co-host, our special street co-host, to wrap up the episode and tell us how we were wrong on every single opinion we had for the last hour and few minutes on Woo. these two movies. Yeah. Uh, take it away, Andy, I guess. Go All off. right, and then uh, we will, the three of us and Andy or somebody will see you next week. Yeah. All right. Are you going to put in some bumper music, right? Yeah, and can you, Not- with, with Andy, will you do the wrap-ups and social media and stuff? Yeah. Okay, cool. All right, I'm stopping here. Shh. Hello, everyone. It's Andy, the token female, uh, in the good, the pod, and the ugly. Sorry, I just bumped my leg. Um. I am giving my report on Still of the Night and Cry in the Dark. I feel like I'm doing my book report. Um, I was out of town. I was in lovely La Jolla, California, um, while the boys were recording their part. And I watched these movies, actually, while I was there in my hotel room. It was a nice way to spend the evening after working hard all day. Um, so I'm just going to kind of go through the notes that I made. Um, you should also know I was drinking wine, um, while watching these. So the later the night went, the more fun my notes get. 
Um, and I did listen to what the guys had to say. And so I'm, I've got a few retorts and responses. Uh, first of all, I, I really hate that Jack had to sit in a refrigerator box for the entirety of that recording. I'm not sure what the punishment was for, but um, it did. It affected the sound a bit. So sorry, Jack. So I, I'm going to talk about Still the Night first, because I, I think that's the order in which they went um, and the order in which I watched them. I had actually seen this before. I just didn't realize it um, for a while. I think I, I, I may have only caught the last half of it. The first time around, um, when Ken was watching it, just he, he watches movies for fun in addition to for the podcast, which is like crazy. But anyway, so I remembered it started coming back to me around the scene of the um, auction. I was like, oh, yeah, I've seen this before. Um, that said, I have to agree with Meryl Streep that I also hate film noir for the most part. Um, it can be done well, but I, you know, nine times out of 10, I'd much rather watch something else or read. A, I don't want to read a book that's written that way. I just, I just, I don't know. It's just not for me. So I get that. I sympathize with her. And although I think she, I think her performance was great. Um, I can see why she might not have been pleased with it. Um, and, and I agree that she and Roy Scheider, and I love Roy Scheider, um, but they just, didn't really have the chemistry. It just, it, it, I think it, it, um, tried to establish that way too quickly. Like, like those old movies from like, or movies about people in the 1800s where, you know, a woman meets a man and she's like, hello, my name is Hyacinth. And he's like, marry me. You know, it's like, that's not how it happens in the real world. So I do think that, um, he would have had to have a few more interactions with her, before really being like, whoa, this, this lady's awesome. Um, especially since he actually kind of thinks that she killed her, uh, boyfriend, whatever he was. Um, anyway, so that wasn't working for me. Um, y'all talked about the washing machine scene. I remember kind of laughing almost when that scene came up because it wasn't scary to me or not as scary as it, I think they intended it to be. I was just kind of like, this isn't that kind of movie. Like I see what they're doing, but it's kind of dumb. Um, you know, like it, it's not a horror movie. It's really more of a thriller mystery type movie. So that didn't really do it for me. Uh, and I also thought that I know the dream was like a big focus point or a big, uh, you know, pivotal thing in the movie, um, that drove them to ultimately figure out who the real killer was. But at the same time, I thought it was, that was kind of silly. It did remind me a little bit of like Alfred Hitchcock. Um, although I think he would have done it way better. Um, I just, I don't know. It was just weird. Um, for an, for an, for an adult man to have had a dream like that, almost, it's almost the kind of dream that like an abused child would have because they separate themselves from the abuse. And so they think they dreamed something that actually happened. Um, I know I just couldn't figure out like was he was was this something that he dreamt about that actually kind of happened and he blocked it out but it came up in his dreams or was he psychic and he knew this was he was going to get killed I have no idea it was it was weird um I agree that he was also a hard 47 and Merrill was way out of his league I don't understand what the appeal was there but whatever 
I was very excited. I don't think the guys talked about this at all, but I was excited to see Jessica Tandy as Roy Scheider's mom. I love her. And um, I haven't seen her in too many things when she was younger. Not that she was super young, but I mean, you know, I'm thinking like fried green tomatoes is what I really know her from. <laughs> so um, I was excited to see her. I thought she, she did a good job. Um, <laughs> I have a note about good tab product placement. I think Roy Scheider was drinking tab in a few scenes. I was, uh, until I've remembered that I had seen this before, I was confused at first about, you know, I, th I thought I had it figured out and I was like, well, maybe Meryl Streep is the killer. And then I'm like, no, it's the lady with the perm. And then, then I finally remembered, oh no, it's the, the redheaded lady. Um, and <laughs> towards the end of my notes, I have that guy was totally not worth it, sweeties, because it's true. I don't understand, uh, you know, what the appeal was with him. He was kind of a goob. He wasn't cute. I, I don't know. Anyway, um, for this movie, I am, I appreciate the guesses, guys, but I was Meryl Streep's bouncy, shiny hair. Um, I do think the spin move, though, if, if I um, had thought about it, that would have been something cool for me to be. So I agree with that. And I think that's it. Um, you know, this movie was okay to me. I'd probably watch it again if it was just on and there's nothing else going on, but I, I wouldn't purposely sit down and watch it again, probably. Now, moving on to A Cry in the Dark. Um, I, too, only... I knew the Dingo Ate Your Baby joke from Seinfeld, and I... Th I don't know what I thought that was referring to, but I did not know it was a reference to something that actually happened. And so I do kind of agree that now that's pretty cringe. And I, I kind of wonder like, why did they, why did they put that in the, in the show? You know, why was that what Elaine said to that lady? But it was funny at the time. And anyway, um, but in real life, you know, knowing this is something that actually happened, it's like, Oh, okay. Um, I had not seen this movie before, obviously, because I didn't know the story. Um, it came out when I was very little. I mean, both these movies did. So um, I just didn't know about it. Um, Meryl's hair in this movie is horrible, but apparently that was the actual person's hair. Um, <laughs> I laughed really hard when Thomas, or no, Jack said it looked like Fleabag's sister, because it totally did. And that was one of the funniest moments in Fleabag, so... That was a good laugh. Um, I definitely think her hair's worse than Amy Adams and Julie and Julia. There's just no comparison. But her accent was spot on. I mean, I'm not Australian, obviously, but I am Southern. And I have had to, in my lifetime, listen to a lot of terrible, terrible affectations, people trying to do a Southern accent. And so I always appreciate when an actor makes an effort for any accent. Um because I know what an Australian sounds like, even though I'm not one, but I feel like I was like, you know, I bet, I hope people were pretty pleased with that because I thought she sounded, you know, great. And I don't know enough about the differences between New Zealand and Australia to, to have noticed that her accent was more New Zealand, but that was really like jaw dropping for me to learn that Lindy was from New Zealand. And so Meryl even included that, like flavor into her accent. It was crazy. Um, so I, she's just amazing. Like I, I want to know her secret. I need to read more about her. I don't know if she ever divulges like how she 
practices accents and learns them, but she's just a master at it. Uh, one of my first notes on this also is Sam Neill in booty shorts. Um, I know it was the early eighties. I'm glad he had nice legs. Uh, cause otherwise it's not something you want to see. Um, but yes, I was here for the booty shorts. I said, uh, another Seinfeld reference that I wrote down, the baby is breathtaking. Um, not the cutest baby. Sorry. I know it was just an actor. Um, I'm sure the real life baby was really cute and that's why the dingo stole it. But, um, the baby in the movie was just, just breathtaking. Um, I also want to, um, beg to differ or disagree with Ken about, I don't know why he was like, why are people taking pictures of this rock in the middle of nowhere? Ayers rock is like, a big landmark in Australia. I mean, it's, it's one of those iconic images when you think of Australia, like besides the Sydney opera house, uh, or a kangaroo it's Ayers rock. And so of course people, people trek there and hike there and they're going to take pictures and it looks great at sunset. So yeah, duh. Uh, early on, I said, (laughs) I said, I think I'm team dingo. I don't know why. Um, I love dogs. So maybe that's what it is, but you know, they, I guess because let's be honest, I mean, these people were camping, uh, in the middle of, you know, dingo territory. So if you don't watch your, your kids, that's, that's what can happen. Um, you know, here where we live in the Pacific Northwest, um, a lot of, uh, new neighborhoods are springing up and taking, uh, away from the wilderness, the forests and things they are cutting trees down and building new subdivisions And what's been happening is we're seeing more coyotes roaming the streets and even bears have shown up in people's backyards. And it's like, well, I mean, y'all were kind of encroaching on their backyard too. So I kind of can't blame them. You know, animals are just being animals and doing what they do. It's, you know, the humans have control over ultimate control over what happens, you know, to us. You know, if we put ourselves in that situation, unfortunately, things like that can happen. Um, I'm not blaming the victim. I don't think that, you know, I think this was also the eighties, early eighties. And, and I think even in Australia, like everywhere, this was when people still left their kids in the car when they went into the grocery store or left them home alone at small ages or let them roam the neighborhood without supervision. We just didn't think anything would happen. You know, people didn't think these terrible things could happen to their kids back then. Um, and now, you know, everybody's, I don't even have kids. And I'm like, if I see a small child walking down the street unaccompanied, I get, I get worried because I'm like, they're too small to be by themselves. And I kind of watch them, make sure they make it down the street. Okay. Or whatever. Um, cause it, you know, but back then it was pretty common probably to like, Oh, I'll just put the baby down in the tent and we can all still hang out or eat our beans or whatever. <laughs> So, um, yes, but it was terrible. It was a terrible thing. Um, I wondered if it was an anomaly of Australian law that even though they went through a trial and were not found guilty, that they were retried. I feel like that that's double jeopardy, but I'm not sure because I'm not a lawyer and, um, I certainly don't know Australian law. I wondered if a similar thing had happened in the U S would they have been able to be tried again? I don't, I don't know. And I'm too lazy to do the research, but it was, it was unfortunate. Uh, and yes, the court of public opinion, we are, we know these days, especially 
And after all the public trials that have happened over the last, you know, 20, 30 years, like OJ and things like that, that the court of public opinion is totally ruthless and people make up their minds, you know, regardless of the facts sometimes. Um, And I thought it was really sad, you know, if that's really how people were, um, especially, you know, tacking on that, you know, because they were Seventh-day Adventist and thinking that they're like weirdos, you know, that they sacrifice babies or, you know, it's like, that's, that's not even, I mean, it's a, it's an odd religion. It's not like mainstream particularly, but it's not, it's not that far out. Um, and, and I, I felt like it seemed like there were a lot of them in that community. So it's, you would think the people who lived around there would kind of be used to sharing their space with Seventh-day Adventists and kind of know what they're all about. But I don't know. People are rude and, you know, it's Australia. There's not a lot going on. Um, it's like it was kind of a small town. Otherwise, um, I grew up in a small town and I know how, you know, gossip travels and people don't have anything better to do than to talk about everybody else. So, um, I didn't, I, I hated that for Lindy and her family. Um, I don't even remember who said this now, but whoever said, if that's a hand, I'm a virgin. That was the quote of the movie. I don't, I wish I remember who said that. I was into my wine at that point, but, uh, that was hilarious to me. Um, you know, we see later on, uh, Lindy gets pregnant again. Uh, and she, you know, as pregnant people do, she put on some weight and apparently, I don't know, there was an argument and she said that, um, he had threatened to leave her if she got fat or something like that. And I said, fuck that guy in his booty shorts because that's bullshit. Especially if you're talking about don't get fat and you're pregnant, like, come on. I just felt like he was not, um, very sensitive to her feelings, you know, considering, I mean, I know they both were going through it, but like she was really the one put on the stand, you know, he didn't even get the same level of punishment that she did. Um, so, um, I noticed during this part of the recording, there's audio evidence speaking of legalities of Ken being verbally abusive to my dog. I will not have it. This will not stand. Um, you're on notice. Just, just know that Ken. I'm not, I'm, like I said earlier, I'm not a very maternal person. I don't have kids. I, I thought I wanted kids early on and then I kind of changed. Well, circumstances sort of didn't allow for that to happen. And, and now that I'm older and set in my ways, I'm like, no, you know, I love my nieces. Um, but I don't care if I, you know, I don't, I don't care about having kids of my own. Um, I love my stepkids. But, you know, I, I'm past that point. Uh, I love animals, though. So that's where you know, I was like, I feel sorry for the dingo in a way because it was just being a dingo. Um, but at the same time, like, I can't imagine, you know, I used to babysit my nieces when they were little babies. And I cannot imagine if anything, you know, it doesn't have to be an animal taking them, but just, you know, turning your back for a second and something happening and then being punished for it is just unfathomable. Um, so it really, it really got my hackles up. I did not believe that she killed her baby. Like it was ridiculous. Like the, the way it played out in the beginning of the movie, if that's actually what happened and there were people all around, I don't know how 
it even got as far as it did in court because, you know, there were witnesses that heard the baby cry and she was standing there with them. And only when she went to check on it was when, I mean, it's just stupid. I, I feel like they didn't have a good lawyer, but anyway, um, yeah, this movie was, um, it was pretty good. You know, um, I probably would not sit down and watch it again either just cause it's kind of depressing. Um, but I thought Meryl's performance was amazing. Um, her accent was great. I think, uh, I'll be interested to see Sophie's choice, which I think came out around this time or no, maybe, maybe it came out around the time of, um, still the night, but I haven't seen that before. And that's, you know, when we talked about Meryl plays a mother or, or is pregnant in a lot of these, these early roles, particularly. Um, and she was a mother. Um, she, you know, I, for some reason, thought that she didn't have kids till later in life, but um, reading her biography, I was reminded that she did have kids fairly early on, um, which is, you know, not so much the norm these days for celebrities. Um, But I think, you know, that helped her probably to um, act as a mom and be maternal in these roles, um, even though she was still fairly young. Um, you know, I think these days, a woman who's, who's only in her early thirties might be, um, disappointed to be cast as a mother possibly because, you know, we, we want everybody to stay young and be in their twenties forever and, you know, whatever. But, um, but I think, you know, she took it in stride and it was just all because Meryl, I think she, she wouldn't turn down any part because it wasn't making her uh, appear as young and beautiful, even when she was, you know, very young. I mean, she's still beautiful, but when she was very young and beautiful, she played old hags. She played, you know, all kinds of people. Um, and that's what makes a good actor. So I'm, I'm happy that, you know, she, she didn't conform to that. Um, and I think that's allowed her to, to work as long as she has, because she's open to those types. If it's a good role, then she's willing to do it. It doesn't matter if she looks crazy in it. Um, and in fact, some of the movies, you know, we just watched she devil where she was supposed to be the pretty mistress. And that wasn't her best work. You know, that wasn't the best look for her. Um, so not that she can't, you know, play that, but I just think, you know, kudos to her for, um, being open to any type of role and, and for, you know, playing so many, I mean, I, you know, I love my mom, but if I could have a celebrity mom, I would love for Meryl Streep to be my mom because, you know, she just seems like a really, really great motherly person. Um, and so for this movie, I was the matinee jacket. I did not know what a matinee jacket was. I was like, why do they keep calling it that? It's the baby's jacket. Um, I had to look it up, but apparently that is what you call a little short jacket that babies wear. So, cause you know, babies love going to the matinee. Um, I think that's it. That's, that's it for me. Um, I'm going to wrap up the podcast as well. Wanted to remind everyone that we are on social media. Um, this says we're on mammoth. I don't think we are, but, um, you know, check it out. Um, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube links in show notes. Um, 
if you actually do want to follow us there. Um, you can also find Ken and Jack's letterbox accounts. Thank you to Weird AI featuring Sam Peckinpah for the theme song. We'll be back next week with a special Christmas adjacent episode, so get ready for that. And um, that's all. Thanks for listening if you got this far. And please consider donating to our Patreon so my husband can stop selling feet pictures on the internet. Thanks.